0: Right now, Thomas Burns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory.
1: Welcome, Fight Fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Legendary Nights. And on today's episode, as voted for by the users of Twitter and the listeners, this is the tale of Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas from February 1990. Thank you, first of all, to Doug Campbell at DC Sports Value on Twitter for putting the picks out for this particular poll. Great picks in it and I'm really excited to be talking about one of the biggest shocks, if not the biggest shock upset in modern boxing history where Mike Tyson went over to Tokyo and he faced off against 42-1 to James Buster Douglas, regular guest on the show and co-host of the Legendary Night series, Johnston Brown is on the line to discuss the tale of Tyson versus Douglas from February 1990. But before we get into the episode and start to talk about one of the biggest upsets in boxing history, I want to thank the guys that have listened to my messages on the podcast about going over and rating us, in particular on Apple Podcasts. I've noticed a couple of extra ratings on there this week. With some great reviews from an N. Stewart. Thank you, Mr. Stewart. You've made my week with a great review of the podcast. I implore people to please keep going on to Apple Podcasts or onto Podbean or to Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM. Spotify, we really appreciate all the support that you're giving us and even just an extra couple of ratings a week really helps boost our podcast up there, up the rankings when you go and search for Boxing podcasts, you're going to see us a little bit more because we are getting the support that we need to get us up there and remember we're independent, we don't have this big platform to do these episodes on we don't have a studio to do it on we don't hire someone's studio to do it on we literally go off the basic equipment that you need to be able to produce and edit a podcast so please keep going on and rating the podcast keep going on and subscribing on all the available platforms and please go and tell your friends about us on social media and tag us in because it's really appreciated and it really helps so enough of the housekeeping rules let's get into this episode then this is the tale of Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas the biggest upset in boxing history (laughs)
0: And we are live inside Korakuen Stadium in Tokyo, Japan, as HBO Sports presents World Championship Boxing. Tonight, undisputed heavyweight champion Mike Tyson's 10th title defense against the challenger James Buster Douglas. It is scheduled for 12 rounds.
1: So this is it, this is the tale of Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas from way back in February 1990. Johnston, this is a fight I know, as always, we've both been looking forward to because it is the biggest upset in boxing history and one of the biggest upsets in sporting history
2: absolutely Sean it, it it really was a massive shock at the time um, and as you say uh, definitely one of the greatest sporting upsets in history let alone boxing um, and, and it's a great one to cover I mean we all love Tyson and it's great to go through his career and, and obviously what happened before and after and, and obviously Buster Douglas as well who shot to fame through his victory so really looking forward to going through this one with you
1: as always with the legendary night series what we're going to do is we're going to cover off both careers leading up to the famous bout we're going to cover off the build-up because this build-up has got so many intricate details for us to discuss with things that happened in the lead up to this particular fight for both men that it's probably gonna take us at least half an hour to go through that. But I am very much looking forward to it because there is a lot of good stuff to cover off with this particular fight, and we'll cover the fight breakdown and we'll also cover the aftermath of what happened for both men in their careers and their lives after this epic bout. So let's begin and go to Mr. James Buster Dog. First, and let's look a little bit into his career leading up to this particular bout because not a lot of people remember what James Buster Douglas achieved other than this particular win over Mike Tyson and I said this to you before we started this episode that it feels like James Buster Douglas was this one-hit wonder a guy who'd released a a music album or a song and we never heard from him again and that actually, in reality, was kind of what his career was like because going back to his career, he, he... didn't really have the most successful of careers in terms of what he achieved overall in the sport however this particular fight was what put him on the map because of what he got out of the victory and, and what it led to on the back of the victory as well but he didn't actually get any success until sort of 6 years into his career when he really started to push on and the first major bout he was involved in was in 1987 bearing in mind he'd been a pro for 6 years at this point and he went into fighting for the vacant I heavyweight title of the world against Tony Tucker who was 33 and 0 at the time and this particular fight with Tony Tucker did showcase that Buster Douglas did have talent and this was for most people the first time they really got to see Buster Douglas as the talented fighter that he was at the time in the heavyweight division however he lost to Tony Tucker he, he seemed to run out of steam in that fight watching that bag he was quite a talented Fighter, but he, he ran out of steam against Tony Tucker and eventually got stopped on his feet. And that was his first attempt at a world title. But then he goes in the ring and fights again, gets a good few wins under his belt, including wins over Trevor Burbeck and Oliver McCall before he got this fight with Mike Tyson. So he did have some great notable names on his record leading up to the fight with Tyson, and which is why he got the fight with Tyson. But going over to yourself, Johnston, when you look at James Buster Douglas's career, other than obviously this big fight that we're talking about this evening, would you have, would you have thought of James Buster Douglas as a name to have popped out as a heavyweight great? Or is it just a case of he's always going to be associated with Mike Tyson because of the victory?
2: It's, it's this. It's this victory. This is this is his his biggest moment in his career. Um, as you say, obviously the Tony Tucker fight was uh, he, he was up on the scorecards before he just began to tire really, and he just quit basically. I was just thinking well, was probably not quit. He just he was just done basically. He blew his gas tank if you like. Um, but he was he was doing well from the beginning. So there was obviously some talent there. Um, but you know this is what he will always be remembered as the biggest upset in the history of heavyweight championship boxing. Um, you know, it, it, that is that is what Buster Douglas will always be known for. But as you have already mentioned in terms of, uh, he had that run where he beat Trevor Burbeck, he beat Oliver McCall just before the Tyson fight. He also beat Mike Williams um, uh, as well. He was also a, a pretty decent name on there. Um, so, you know, it, he... After the Tony Tucker defeat, he obviously sorted himself out. Uh, I think he had, I believe, reading, reading stuff because obviously, I don't remember Buster Douglas um, until the day, obviously, the 1995 fight with Tyson. So, but he did have a, he had a disagreement. I think I believe with his father. So he's with his father after the Tucker fight, and then obviously it worked in his favour because he did go on this uh, a good run to get himself in pole position to fight Mike Tyson in 1990 in
1: Tokyo. Well, when we go back to the fights with Trevor Burbeck and Oliver McCall, you've got to remember that Trevor Burbeck was the man Mike Tyson beat to win his first World Heavyweight title, which is something we'll touch on when we speak about Tyson's career. So Trevor Burbeck, at this point, when he beat him, was 1989. Tyson beat him in '86 to win the World Title. So Trevor Burbeck was obviously a performer world champion in his own right. And when he beat him in 1989, when Douglas beat him, that was a fantastic win for him a great win over Mike Williams as you rightly pointed out and then obviously a young Oliver McCartle who would eventually go on to become a world champion getting a shock win over Lennox Lewis later on down the line in his career so when you look back at the names actually there's there's, there's three or four good names he really was involved with throughout the course of his career Uh, and as we touch on in the aftermath of this particular bout we'll be talking about some of the other names that he was involved with but when I think about James Wester douglas obviously the only thing I think about is Mike Tyson and the two the two go together and the two will always go together and it's for James Buster Douglas that he will always be remembered as the guy who beat Mike Tyson so he had what could have been an average career but with this particular victory that we're talking about and this fight we're talking about it turned it into a more than average career it turned it into to a great career the fact that he went in against an undisputed champion and, and got the victory so he going into this fight it had a great apprenticeship going into it, especially beating the likes of Williams, Burbick and McCall. They were three great victories as you said on the bounce, which led to him being ranked highly enough to be given an opportunity to fight Mike Tyson. When he beat all three of them names I've mentioned, that put him in position to be ranked by the IBF at number two, the WBC at number three and the WBA at number four and they were happy for James Buster Douglas to be the next defence for all of them belts when he went in with Mike Tyson. So let's move to Mike Tyson then because there's obviously going to be a lot more to talk about with Mike Tyson because at this time in history he was the best thing since sliced bread he was the next coming of the heavyweight division he was the the new era of heavyweight boxing at this moment in time and he had had an absolute fantastic resume on his career going into this fight that the likes of the guys that he beat going up to this particular fight with James Buster Douglas it made him the invincible guy he was it made him the baddest man on the planet it made him Iron Mike Tyson this was what everybody loved about the guy, the ferociousness the the, the uppercuts, the head movement the fact that he was only about 5'10 5'11, you know he wasn't your typical heavyweight 6 foot plus, this guy would come in underneath uh, and he would throw shots into the such bigger guys and he was used to fighting bigger guys, so going back to Tyson then, early memories of him Johnston and I know you as a big fan of Tyson, as was I... When was the first time you you encountered him as a fighter growing up? Uh, well, as a kid,
2: I I was uh, I followed Bruno. I was uh, with, with my brother. I was a Bruno fan, so I always uh, he, he you know he was uh, a, a fan, a family favourite, if you like. Real love Bruno. Um, so when he obviously fought the first time against Mike Tyson um, in '89, that was uh, that was probably the time that I you know I, I knew of Tyson already. I was only eight or 89 years old, so. Um, you know I knew how destructive he was I mean he was it was just formidable False, wasn't he It was just unbelievable Just—it was just dominating bigger guys older guys series you know some of these fellows were, you know they weren't just journeymen these were well Oh, the former world champions or they were world champions to, to be you know it was it, it, he's he just unbelievable it, it's not it, the words is just ferocious. It, he's terrifying every single opponent he ever fought literally you could just see it in their eyes with Sphinx, with Berbic with with even Bruno he just literally scared the laugh out of these guys um, so yeah it, I knew of Tyson as a youngster he was one of the first boxers I ever heard of so Tyson has always been you know always been a keen admirer of his fights I mean he was to watch, um, but as I say, with, with, with Frank Bruno, I always rooted for Bruno. But unfortunately, uh, he didn't quite come up trumps against Tyson because he was just an animal.
1: Well, going back to then Tyson's career, obviously in America he was he was really sought after. Uh, at the point he turned professional, because when he turned professional, he had a he had a really good amateur career leading up to it under Costamaro, and obviously then going into his professional career, he, he just started to knock fighters out for the fun of it. You know, he was knocking guys out left, right, and centre, and he was getting this reputation as a ferocious puncher. And as time went on, you know, it was it was ridiculous. Like looking back on the amount of fights he had to get him to that world title level before he we went in with Trevor Burbick for his first world title. You look in 1985 when he turned professional, he had like, I think it was like a dozen fights, I think it was something along the line of a 15. dozen fights 15, there you go, 15 fights he was involved in, in his first year as a professional, it's totally unheard of in this day and age, there's no way you would see any professional in 2019 going in the ring and having 15 fights but he was knocking them all out for fun, that was the thing, so he was really fresh really active and I don't think they rushed him, look Looking back I think it was, it was the right thing for them to do because he was really fresh he was knocking them out for fun, he weren't even breaking a sweat with half of the guys he was going in the ring with and when he started to up the level against the guys like James Tillis and Mitch Green, that's when you started to know he, he was the real deal although them two guys took him the distance in 1986 it's shown that he was ready to sort of step up to the world level he then beat the nephew of the late Joe Fraser, Marvis Fraser, in 1986 who was 16-1 and one at the time and then he'd beat Jose Ribalta and Alfonso Ratliff both by TKO victories in, in within the space of a month of each other before then he got this fight with Trevor Burbick which was in the November of 1986 and was for the WBC heavyweight title and it was his first big stage and what a historic night it was when he beat Trevor Burbick it made him the youngest ever heavyweight champion in boxing history at just the age of 20
2: yeah, and that's still, that still that record still remains today. Um, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Really, those you know all those fights in nineteen eighty five, uh, and it was a turbulent, turbulent sort of year for him because obviously um, his mum died in eighty four, um, just before he turned pro, I and mean, obviously Customato was you know he was an older guy. He had, for people that didn't know, he was Floyd Patterson's trainer, uh, sort of decade or a couple of decades before so um, you know he was an established name and um, actually I've got a quote that Castamato when he actually set eyes on Mike Tyson he was a 13 year old he said that's the future heavyweight champion in the world so he knew straight away I mean he was 13 years old Tyson scaling you know tipping the scales at 200 pounds so you know for a short guy as you say like in heavyweights Sort of, you know, in terms of heavyweights, he was five you eleven know, or whatever he was. I mean, two hundred pounds he was weighing at thirteen years old was just pure muscle. I mean, the guy was just an animal. So, um, but yeah, although he was blazing guys out sort of in the first round, as, as I say, Cuffs. His mum had died. Cuffs become his legal guardian, and then a year later, Cuff died. But fortunately, like with. Uh uh, with the, the the trio as in it was it was Bill Kate, and and uh and it was Jacobs, Jim Jacobs. So those three were sort of a trio that sort of kept Tyson grounded if you like. So as he was bursting through these guys in eighty five, um, sorry, uh yeah eighty five it, it was it, it, like he had a good a good network behind him, so he was always it was he would have gone off the rails as a youngster they stabilized him and and that was always a major factor for tyson he needed that i think for tyson to just continue to just be as successful as he was in the ring and obviously with uh, with the mitch Green as well he was a uh, He's a colourful character, Mitch Green. Uh, there was uh, a, a bit of drama uh, with Mitch Green because he was going to pull out of that fight because uh, they only gave him 30 grand and I believe he thought he was going to get more. In, in the end, they, they convinced him to take the fight and he took him the distance. But still to this day, I think Mitch Green still bangs on about the fact that he got he, sh- he deserves a rematch. He should get more money. So uh, quite a but we'll come on back on to Mitch Green later on um, as we go across uh, Christ's career. But yeah, I mean... It was in no time, wasn't it? Really, that, that Trevor Burbick fight. He was. He could tell Trevor weren't interested. He was. He was petrified. Um, and it and it was part of the heavyweight undisputed series, which was also uh, produced by HBO and floated by Don King. So you know, it was a, it was a load of fighters that were WBC, WBA, and IBS I know WBO at the time, but they were all champions. They were trying to trying to find the established undisputed heavyweight champion in the world. So this was the first fight. Sort of for Tyson in the series and he, and he absolutely demolished Burbank in two rounds.
1: He did and that was like the equivalent of the World Boxing Super Series in 2019 they got the best fighters at the round at the time and the best champions around at the time uh, and made them basically all face off against one another to, to see who was going to be the undisputed champion the next opponent was James Bone Smith who has been on our podcast he's been on BTR Boxing Podcast and we interviewed him for the life and times of and one of obviously the questions was about Mike Tyson and one of the things he always said was that when he got hit oh damn sure he got hurt but he weren't going down and that was one thing he said was that a lot of the opponents of Tyson around that era were always petrified of him you know a lot of them lost the fight before they'd even stepped in the ropes because of this aura of him being able to knock all the opponents out so he went 12 rounds James Bull and Crusher Smith with Mike Tyson and as a result Mike Tyson then picked up James Smith's WBA world title so he then became a double champion at this point, he then defended it again two months later against Pinkman Thomas by stopping Pinkman Thomas quite emphatically as well and then he moved on to the next part of this Undisputed series which was 1987 by picking up the IBF title as well, beating Tony Tucker who was 34-0 at this point by the way, he was obviously another great name on the resume because he was undefeated and this was a big deal back in 1987. This was a guy that was potentially going to go in there and upset the apple cart, but he didn't. He lasted the distance with Tyson. Tyson gave him a hell of a night, and Tony took a give Tyson a hell of a night. But then, by this point, 1987, a 21-year-old Mike Tyson had three world titles to his name.
2: Ah, oh, It was just blazing through him, wasn't it? I mean, we talk talking about Trevor Burbeck, destroying him, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Smith, as you've mentioned, who's been on the show. He's a great listener, by the way. if do have a listen to that. Um, Pinklin Thomas and then, obviously, the Tony Tucker fight. And funny enough, Tony Tucker had actually beaten Douglas as well in, in the series. So, you know, ironically, that could have been Douglas. You know, if, if Douglas had have managed to, to, to continue the way he started the fight against Tony Tucker, he could have gone on to win that on points. But unfortunately, for him, it wasn't to be. But as you say, Tony Tucker was undefeated at the time. Um, and, you know, he, he had won the IBF title from... Um, Against Sphinx, uh, against sorry Douglas, because Sphinx had actually been stripped of his title because Sphinx decided to fight Jerry Cooney instead of Tucker because it was more of a lucrative deal when he was more money involved. So, so, you know, there was a, there was again, you know, this 87, and there's still politics there with the RBS stripping and fighters and, you know, Inevitably I think we all wanted well, you know, I say we the fans watching at the time, I mean I was a youngster, you were the youngster, so we weren't around. But, you know, you could imagine the fans wanting to they, they really wanted to see Spinks Tyson. Unfortunately that wasn't to be but Tucker performed, you know, he put in a great performance against Tyson. And um it was that unfortunate, I mean in the end he got he got he lost on points, but then Tyson was just formidable wasn't he Just he was just looking dangerous and, and, and it was just a, a matter of time before he won the series basically
1: well then he moved on to beat Tyrell Biggs, defending them three titles two months after beating Tony Tucker he then beat Larry Holmes Now the interesting Larry Holmes fight was that people will know that before the fight Muhammad Ali was in the ring with Mike Tyson and from this is what Tyson is obviously quoted to say was that he went going and get him for me. Go and get him for me. I can't exactly say they were 100% the guaranteed words that were said. But in various different interviews that you will hear over the years, especially Tyson himself, Larry Holmes had obviously beaten a, a former sort of shell of himself in Muhammad Ali earlier on in the 1980s, as he was at the end of his career. Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali basically says, you know, you're the future of heavyweight boxing to Mike Tyson, and whispers in his ear in the ring just as the fight's about to start, go and get him for me, or go and do him for me. I think it was one or the other that he actually said to him, uh, and he absolutely absolutely obliterated larry holmes who had been a wonderful champion throughout the late 70s and 1980s going up to this point he he was an absolute monster of a heavyweight champion when it was his time as heavyweight king and tyson went in there and absolutely destroyed him
2: oh absolutely destroyed i mean it was, it was, it was obviously uh coming to the end of his career larry and you know it yeah, I, I, I tell the end of he went on for a while, didn't he? But um it, you know, he was an established guy and obviously he was the link as well, wasn't he? That first link, he was Larry Holmes beating Arley. um, and then obviously Tyson beating Holmes. It, it's almost like a link, a chain, if you like, between Arlie and Tyson. Obviously, as you say, Arlie being in the ring as well, saying so go and get him for me. Um so yeah, it was that would probably be the significant fight. In terms of it, it sort of, it, you know, was it plausible at the time that maybe, you know, is Tyson going to dominate the everyweight division? I think it was pretty clear. Um, it was just a matter of if if it could happen or not. And you know, I think most people sort of relating would uh, guy "Mike, you know, would it be a challenging the likes of Joe Lewis's record, for instance?" And and you know, that, that was just you know, those links were you know, you can't deny that Tyson was just unbelievable. It was, as you say, I mean, these guys were, were established fellas and, and to just do what he did to, to Larry Holmes is unbelievable. And, and again, it, you know, and thought, this, this was a time when Tyson was starting to derail a little bit because again, Jacobs, he was one of the, sort so he lost in, and, and then Jacobs died in 88 of leukemia. So then you had this issue because he also had his his new wife, who was actually in the crowd at the time as well. That watched the Larry Holmes fight, who was um, uh, Givens. I thought it was like, oh name, I forget her first name, so. Robin Givens. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah So and obviously she was in. She was yeah, her. She had a famous mum so Herbert and Don King. So they were sort of like a you know the devils. If you I think devils is a <laughs> bad way of putting it, but they were like the devil in his ear, to you know to get rid of Kate, and who was the last remaining of that. That trio that, that kept sort of Tyson grounded. So there were signs of problems developing after that Larry Holmes fight, and obviously being in the public, and then I, and then Givens, I think in June eighty eight, she actually came out publicly and and said that you know that she he had been beating her up, and I, and, and Tyson come out with a quote saying that um, with a grin, sort of um, basically just saying that if I had a hitter, then you know. No, she. I would have ripped her head off. So, this basically, it's all lies, and uh, he never laid a finger on her. So, these were the sort of things that were happening in the background, sort of in the build up to the Douglas. So, obviously, he was still knocking people out. He was still doing his business in the ring. But you know, it, it is the, these sort of bits that that eventually takes his
1: talent like yeah exactly and this is where we start to talk about these types of things when we lead into the build up to the, the particular fight and touching on the fights that were happening in the ring while all this was going on outside the ring he beat Tony Tubbs in his first trip over to Tokyo which was a great win for him stopping Tony Tubbs he then had a great build up to a fight with Michael Spinks now that fight was, was so heavily built up because Michael Spinks was 31 and 0 at the time he was obviously being touted as the guy that could potentially derail Tyson at this point in time and Tyson absolutely <laughs> obliterated him in the first round before moving on to our very own and very beloved Frank Bruno which looking back on the Frank Bruno fight I thought that was I thought that was an excellent fight when you look back on it, it was a very exciting fight obviously Bruno had failed in his previous attempts at becoming world champion and was going in against a prime Mike Tyson and I, I will never forget and it sends shivers up my spine at the moment we'd seen that a little bit of chinking the armour from Mike Tyson the moment Bruno landed a left hook on Tyson and then you had I think it was Reg Red Gutteridge doing the commentary app going absolutely ballistic when Frank Bruno had landed that shot on, on Mike Tyson but Mike Tyson as ferocious as he was still managed to walk through it and, and it eventually stopped Frank Bruno and Frank Bruno gave an absolutely valiant effort and then he goes in one more time before the Douglas fight and fights Carl Williams and getting another stoppage yeah
2: I'm, I'm the Bruno fight was obviously I was talking to you, talking about it with you beforehand and I was in primary school having, having a debate with my friend about who was going to win and I thought Bruno would win you know eight years old nine years old you, you could probably forgive me for thinking that because <laughs> there was no chance that Bruno was going to ever win the fight um, but again, I mean, that, that Bruno fight, what a fight. You know, if anyone ain't seen it, go back and have a look on YouTube. It's brilliant. And, and you know, Bruno rocking Tyson. Uh, it, it, that was unbelievable to witness that. I mean, everybody, as you said, I think it was, was it was Harry Carpenter that said, I think it might have been Harry Carpenter that said uh, he knows he's hurting. And he even says, get in there, Frank. And he he, yes. sort of thinks, oh, he even still says to this day that, that he really regrets the fact that he, he actually backed Someone during commentary because he he never likes to do that. So, um, but yeah, that was just it does send goose goosebumps down spine, and it really does. It was, it was it's just a great watch if no one's ever seen it. But um in terms of uh, the, before the fight as well, going back to Mitch Green, it was an ironic situation where uh, at three in the morning, around I think it was Brooklyn or wherever it was in in, in New York. Uh, Mike Tyson at 3 a.m. decided to, to go and get uh, a coat from this, from this coat place, uh, or some sort of, uh, I don't know, I can't remember the exact name, but in the end, uh, you know, Mitch Green was a little bit partial to a bit of angel dust. So he shows up at 3 o'clock in the morning, demanding the money from the fight that he had with him a couple of years beforehand. And obviously Tyson whacks him and knocks him out. And there's, there's, there's actually pictures of Mitch Green of a massive shiner. So, he, you know, you could have a look at it and see the footage. was all over the sort of New York Times at the time. And and actually, from that punch, it was Tyson uh, actually fractured his hand. So that's why that fight was delayed with Bruno after the Spinks fight. But again, Spinks' face, I will never forget Spinks' face, just looked, the, the the pure just fear in his eyes he wouldn't even look at Tyson and then that that was what, what Tyson was about he had these guys beaten in the ring before they even stepped in the ring and and I think that that will always stick with me that you know he was, although he was so ferocious in the ring I, nobody just wanted to get hit by him and they were just petrified of him and, and as you say on and he also then went on to beat Carl Williams as well but yeah his life was obviously falling he's he in self destruct mode at the time and everything was just going
1: wrong and he gets
2: rid of Kevin Rooney and he. All just a bit of a mess going into the Bassett Douglas fight.
1: I think when we look back on, on this and we talk about the build-up now, it's quite evident when we talk about some of the factual bits of information that it, it, it's definitely looking like it was really only going to go one way. I mean, it's probably some of the worst preparation for a fight you could possibly have and years and years down the line we hear all the stories about what really happened in the lead-up to the fight and we've got some interesting bits of information. So you m- mentioned the fact that he'd ditched Kevin Kevin Rooney, who was his longtime trainer and a guy who'd worked closely with him for a number of years, got into this point, got into that level, and then he ditched Kevin Rooney. There were so many influences and so many hangers on around him at this point. It was it was untrue. So all the people that had kept him grounded up until this point were gone or, or had passed away. So, you know, you've got guys like Don King who we could probably sit and do a separate episode on the guy himself because of <laughs> how slippery and how bad and how much of a money grabber this. Guy was it was untrue, and and it's funny because just on a side note, it always reminds me of uh, Rocky Five that came out the same year when they had the promoter of of Tommy Gunn, who was definitely had a likeness to to Don King, the way he acted and the way they portrayed him in that in that film was was definitely Don King. But moving back onto point, he had so many influences around him at the time, and they weren't the good influences either. So he'd lost Kevin Rooney, he changed his trainer, and. He weren't, he weren't taking orders from his trainer. His trainer's telling him to go on a run, and he'll go, no, I'll go on it when I want to go on it. And stuff like that, in hindsight now, it, it makes you realise why he lost the fight, really. Because it wasn't just... A, a fantastic performance from Douglas on the night. It was also some of the outside stuff that took precedent in the fight, going into the fight as well. And then obviously you had this stuff with Robin Givens hanging over him and allegations of him beating Robin Givens. And then you know obviously he broke his hand punching Mitch Green as you was telling that story um, a minute ago. And there was just so many things in the lead up to this fight. And what made me what made me laugh was when you look back on the build up of the fight and the HBO coverage of the fight. This is. Sort something that wouldn't happen in this day and age, but they actually showed footage of Tyson getting dropped in sparring by Greg Page in the lead-up to the Douglas fight as well, which is that is something that you would never see in this day and age. They would never admit whether someone had been dropped in sparring. There'd always be rumours about it, but you'd never publicly admit that someone was dropped in sparring in the lead-up to this fight. So, really, when you take everything into consideration, it was quite a catastrophic build-up for him. Wasn't it
2: completely? He it was. He it, it was just an absolute mess. I mean, he was losing it. He was going off the rails. And as I say, you know, the, the, the two deaths in his life, and and obviously then the split um, with with Kevin Rooney and Caton as well. I think it just it impacted his life, and he, he just he just fell to pieces. You know, he, breaking his hand on Mitch Green before the Bruno fight, the delay in that, um, and then he it, it was he got knocked. He knocked himself out, crashing his BMW into a tree. He went berserk in Moscow, where his wife was filming and smashing TV cameras, chasing Givens and his mother through the hotel lobby. <laughs> uh, then Givens files for divorce. Um uh, th- th- That was the reason why he was all chasing her, <laughs> hurling furniture into the street. Um, and then he it gets, you know, he it, it leaves. I mean, it, it was just a mess. Kevin, obviously, get, he, he, he sacks Kevin Rooney, and then he, he, he Bill, Catons out the door, and Don King's in it. it, it as you said, it, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that you didn't think he could lose because he was so even though this you know this was going on for, and he's still knocking people out in the ring so maybe people just assume that you know it, he, he's going to be fine and he'll just be another another body on his record but you know Buster Douglas to his credit he proved everyone wrong and he was also going from some bad hugs because he had just lost his mother a few a few months before um, so he had that sort of you know that sort of pushing him on and, and being the underdog and I think that sparked something in Buster Douglas, and uh, so you had two guys going into the ring completely separate. You know, one was almost on the decline or was on the decline, and then you had the other one who was having this little spurt, this little purple patch in his boxing career. So, you know, you think about it, it was definitely one of the biggest. You know, it was it was forty-two to one, and it was you know, I think. I think it was the Mirage, wasn't it? The only ones that actually put a bet on, that you could put a bet on him. So, oh, it, it was just one of those situations where it was, it was, it was going to happen. It was just something that was going to happen and, and and it happened in Tokyo. And, and you know, he had, he had the, Tokyo ran in beforehand as well so he was a mess and uh, he didn't he fought like nothing like I've ever seen before he wasn't the Mike Tyson we had seen all those years just literally destructing every single opponent that, that passed into, he, he got in the ring with
1: Today's episode of BTR Boxing Podcast is sponsored by Bear Attack Boxing Check them out on social media, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And check out their website, www.bearattackboxing.co.uk. They've got another great product that's just been released, the Bear Attack Boxing Master 1 Focus Pads. They are the ideal pads for perfecting your boxing skills, for getting your shots accurate and fast. With the shock-absorbent pad, your hands and wrists will be protected. The hook and loop strap makes it easy to secure your hands in the pads. So go and check out that new product, which is only twenty-four ninety-nine at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk. Social media: Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Find them: Bear Attack Boxing. But when you talk about the build-up for Buster Douglas as well, you talk about the fact that he'd lost his mother. Now, he lost his mother, it was only 23 days before the fight that he actually lost his mum and he was really really close to his mum and, and, and all the interviews that have taken place beforehand taken place after the event you know it was such a significant period in his life because at this point in time he'd earned his way back up to a shot at the World Heavyweight title as I said earlier he was ranked number 2, number 3 and number 4 by the respective governing bodies so he'd earned his way there but the, the setbacks he suffered through no fault of his own in the lead up to this particular fight this would make you, this would be enough excuses for, for him to have lost that particular Fight really, the fact that he lost his mum twenty-three days before the fight.
2: Great deal to me, and you know, I'm going to miss her tremendously. But um... Uh, you know,
1: got to go on. The fact that he also had. The mother of his son, who was facing a severe kidney ailment, and she'd contracted flu the day before the fight. You know, this this would make some people actually say, "No, I'm not going ahead with it." You know, people would pull out in certain circumstances like this. But there was obviously just something about James Buster Douglas where it was like, "What's the worst now that can happen to him? He's lost his mum, who he loved dearly. The the mother of his son's really poor there, and there's obviously a concern over the welfare of, of the son because the mother was so poor." But yet he still managed to keep his focus going into this particular fight. So you think about the the stuff that had gone on with Mike Tyson, that was that was by choice, by choice for Tyson because of his mental state of mind at the time. But for Douglas, none of that was by choice. That was all circumstantial because of what had happened outside of the ring. So when you dive deeper into the situation really, I think for me, it makes me feel like the writing is completely on the wall when it comes to the events that happened in the fight, which is what we're going to move on to in a second we're going to move on to the fight and talk about the fight itself, the fact that it was held in Japan was all about the money, because he'd been there two years before Tyson, the Japanese decided that they wanted him back because he was such a big draw, that they actually paid six million dollars to the box officials for the privilege of staging this particular fight in Tokyo so you had guys like Don King who, who was smelling the money, he was smelling that money and you know for a fact as soon as the Japanese offered that sort of money you he was taking it and it didn't really matter but the whole distraction of, of everything outside of the ring that you referred to you know it was it was unbelievable to think that this fight went as long as it did and and things didn't end so soon because that sort of catastrophic build up for Tyson would have made most fighters lose in my opinion a lot sooner but i think that was because of who Tyson was why it went as as long as it did but then like we say we douglas most men would have probably quit most men would have just said no i can't go ahead with the fight but he was so obviously mentally in focus and the thing was with this there was no fear ...at all from James Buster Douglas going into this fight. Like I said earlier, what is the worst that the world and life could have threw at him. He, he'd suffered it. he suffered it in the lead-up to the fight. He'd suffered some of the worst things in life that you can go through. So he was 100% mentally in a place where he could fully focus on this fight, given everything that had happened outside of the ring. And it was unbelievable to think that this guy had gone through all this in the lead-up to the biggest fight of his life. Unbelievable.
2: Completely, yeah. And, you know... Even, even his uh, trainer, J.D. McCauley, um, it was his uncle as well, at the time said uh, after his mum died, was, I think, if anything, James will turn this into a positive. I really believe that. And that's exactly what he did. You hit the nail on the edge, Sean. He, he was completely in a different frame of mind to what Mike Tyson was. Um, and also, the other, the other thing was, with everything else that was going on, I mean, he's got a divorce, he's got some trainer. he's just in free fall, he's not listening to anybody. The other thing was that Don King, he's already setting up a fight for Evander um, for Holyfield, who was sitting in the crowd, waiting for a multi-million fight against, uh, against Mike Tyson, just expecting to blast him off. So, so you know, it, in, in the back of his mind, he thought we had this fight done. Um, and I think you know, there's only one... Uh, article, you know, one person in particular that I could find that actually sort of backed Douglas, and that was a guy um, four days before the fight, Dave Anderson of the New York Times, and he wrote considering his competition, the only person who can beat Tyson himself, by not training, by not caring, by not surrounding himself with experienced him, cornermen. Chances are Tyson will quickly swap James Butter-Douglas into submission. Even so, reports from Tokyo, Tyson's training are enough to question if the champion is sabotaging his own regime. While sparring with Greg, Greg Page two weeks ago, he was floored by an overhand right. Over the weekend, he was described as sluggish and uh, in another sparring session. So, you know, he was the only guy that was alluding to the fact that, you know, the chances are... Tyson could lose this and he would lose it himself although Buster Douglas you know he was he put in the best performance of his life uh, and, and he turned all of his negatives into a positive whereas you know Tyson was just in free fall so yeah it, it was it was just uh, it was chaos wasn't it really and the Tyson camp and, and, and the people that he was surrounding himself with were just involved in the money and that was all that mattered so and Douglas was in it for the boxing, and he wanted to to do it for his mum, and, and that you know that that is enough of a that, that's going to get you going, isn't it? That 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 will just ignite you on the night, and then um, it was he was ready to go.
1: It was funny because also in the build-up on the night of the fight HBO boxing analyst Larry Merchant and Jim Lampley, both famous for, for some of the quotes and comments they came out with over the years during the HBO boxing period, they both expected it to be another 90 second annihilation they really did, they were both quite negative about the fact that Douglas doesn't really have much of a chance here and even on the night of the fight, instead of discussing Douglas chances against Tyson, they're actually sat, sat there talking about comparing pets, as in Tyson had got a white pitbull named Duran after his idol, and then Douglas had a beagle named Shakespeare and <laughs> and then Merchant was quoted as saying this fight is over before it begins or soon thereafter and he was comparing James Buster Douglas to just another frozen tuna from the Tokyo fish markets Larry what are we about to
0: see another 90 second annihilation of an ill-prepared opponent Well, in the important game of expectations, this fight is over before it begins or soon thereafter. You have to remember that uh, just nobody believes anybody can compete with Mike Tyson. In fact, Ed Schuyler of the Associated Press, when he arrived in Tokyo, was asked by
2: a customs official what he was doing here. He said he was here to cover the Tyson-Douglas fight. How long
0: do you expect to work, the customs official asked. Oh, he said, about 90 seconds. The good news is that Douglas has fought his best fighters against the best fighters he's fought, so perhaps we'll get a few rounds. Uh, Also, Jim, uh, Douglas has a dog, a beagle named Shakespeare, and I believe that any prize fighter with a dog named Shakespeare can't be all bad. Buster Douglas tells (laughs) us that his favorite Shakespearean play is the romantic tragedy Romeo and Juliet. Surely if Mike Tyson were asked that question, he would choose something more bloody and violent, perhaps Henry V or Macbeth. Things
1: like that are just like, nobody nobody was giving him a chance. And this is what I'm trying to put into context of the fact that how big of an underdog James Buster Douglas was going into this particular fight that even the HBO commentators, who are supposed to be impartial, by the way, are actually basically saying to the, the viewers of the broadcast that, yeah, it's going to be over in 90 seconds, is a frozen tuna fish from the market. I don't think you could be any more insulting towards a fighter than, than that, really. And it was ridiculous. But hey-ho, let's move on to the fight and let's go into this mm-hmm. particular fight. And this is where it becomes uh, a, a great talk, really, because this is a fight that people will never, ever forget. Yeah, and we say it time and time and again uh, he's one of the biggest upset if not the biggest upset in boxing history and one of the biggest upsets in sporting history because of how it went down and all the stuff we've just talked about in the build-up leads nicely into the fight because from the beginning of the fight you could see that Douglas wasn't afraid he came out and he weren't afraid he didn't go into the shell he didn't go on the back foot he went straight out and he went straight out for Tyson, and he was using lateral movement straight away. And he wasn't even cautious. He let his punches go straight away, and that was what was quite impressive about watching the fight. Is that you could see them straight away. There was there was no fear with him. He didn't care. He, he was there to to do a job and become heavyweight champion of the world.
2: And and he he like you know like so many other Tyson opponents, they were beaten before they stepped in that ring. And I, and Douglas wasn't. You know he had been through the worst thing that he ever he had ever gone through in his life, losing his only 23 days ago so you know that in his head he, you know he's not going to be sit fighting over Mike Tyson in the ring what's the worst that could happen you know what I mean Well, just put down and then fight, fight another day off you know so uh, he, he was brilliant I mean he dominated that Opening round, um, literally no fear. Usually twelve-inch reach to his advantage to perfection, and you know, and just continually hit Tyson with jabs and right hands, and he he, he danced out out of reach from Tyson at, as soon as Tyson tried to go on the inside. So it's from the beginning of the fight, straight away, you know, it was it was evident that who was who was in complete control. um Whether you, when you watch it at the time, you're probably expecting it doesn't really matter because Tyson's eventually going to land. But he surprised a lot of people as you already said. You know, Jim Lampley and Larry Merchant were laughing and joking about the names of the dogs, and also the fact that ninety seconds annihilation was what they predicted. So, good start for um, for Douglas, and he proved a lot of people wrong from the off on that first round.
1: What was impressive about the the work from? Buster Douglas in the opening two rounds of the fight was that he was using them physical advantages to not let Tyson get on the inside because as we alluded to earlier in the episode, Tyson was really good against big guys, he used the fact that he was a smaller heavyweight to be able to get underneath the jab slip on the inside and throw the uppercuts in which was one of his trademark punches but Douglas had obviously already had this worked out, Douglas was not letting him get on the inside and ironically enough, what was what was funny about the whole fight from the start was that Douglas was in control and then he actually finished the second round with a little snappy uppercut to Tyson's chin at the end of the second round which I thought was a brilliant shot and I think there's an absolute fantastic picture of it on Google Images if you go and search for it it's a brilliant shot of where he lands that uppercut and it's just, it's ironic it was an ironic shot that he'd landed given that it was Tyson's trademark shot and what a great end to that second round and what a great start to the fight
0: Douglas is getting Mike Tyson to reach in. When you reach in, that's what happened. Another happens. good right hand and a good right uppercut and two more good rights by Douglas. I don't think I've ever seen Tyson absorb that kind of a four or five punch combination before in his professional career. Now, Mike is not going on, he's not attacking Buster Douglas, which indicates that there is some respect here. And also also a little puzzlement, Ray. He just doesn't seem to know how to go about it. That's another good round that I gave to Buster Douglas.
2: Oh, I know exactly the picture you're talking about. It was a wonderful shot, wasn't it? Great uppercut, and uh, and yeah, who really thought it for a big guy as well, you know, to, to be catchy and tiresome with uppercut? It shows you that there was just no defense at all. There was no, he had that peekaboo start, didn't he? And that sort of just wasn't quite there, and he was just, his hands were too low, he was just. Literally, hitting him at will, wasn't he? It was, it was, it was like he was just using his face as, as a block, if you like, for Tyson. And You know, to Tyson's credit, Jesus, he showed he had a, a downright unbelievable chin. But, yeah, that second round, Douglas again still just continued to dominate that fight. And then, pretty much the same, moving on into the third, um, Tyson did land a big left to the, to the body, which sort of, you know, got Douglas looking at his corner. Um, but, other than that, it was a pretty straightforward round once again for Douglas, you know, he just just continued to use his jab and just and and hit that overhand right, he hit hit the right hand so many times. It was like every round. You just think surely it, at some point Tyson's going to wake up in it and just move his head a bit quicker, which is something he was great at. He was moving it was the excellent head work he could do with the bigger guys and get on the inside and just throw those left hooks and, and right. He had he had power with both hands as well, so it wasn't just the left. It would have been it could he could have caught with him from the right. You know, a, a Tyson a year ago would have done that, and he just didn't do it. And uh, I'm even um, on HBO uh, commentary, Sugar Ray Leonard in the third round, even said, uh, "Sometimes, you know, you just don't have it. Things just don't click in for that night." So, you know, mate, that's that's the way Leonard was seeing it already. One well, third round, Leonard's almost see, sort of seeing that Tyson's, mm, he's looking worse for wear, and. This could be a long
1: night. Yeah, and at the end of that third round, it, it wasn't a good round, really, for Tyson. It wasn't a good first quarter of the fight, to be honest with you. And so much so that his cornerman, Jay Bright, who he had in for this particular fight, was basically screaming at him and saying, he's like, don't just stand there and look at him. You've got to work. Tyson wasn't working. Don't
0: just stand there you're looking not closing and look at him. you the, work. You're not closing the gap, Mike. you got to get inside by jabbing and moving your head. When you get in the inside, you got to punch. All right? come on you're too flat footed in Trust in what you know. Do it.
1: Let it go. Tyson wasn't working at all. Tyson was literally turning into a plodder at this point. He was just walking forward and, and letting the shots come from Buster Douglas. And Douglas then would go on to start to dominate the middle rounds. Tyson would land a few of them signature uppercuts but Tyson was wobbled by a chopping right during the fifth round, and then it's at that point then that Tyson's... You start to see the physical side of things get into him a little bit, because you start to see his left eyes swell from all the jabs that he'd taken from James Buster Douglas that night, which obviously when you're in the ring and you get an injury to the eye either a cut or some type of swelling you're effectively losing some of your vision if not all of your vision in that one eye so you've got to think about as a fighter in the ring you lose that vision you're not going to always see the punches coming
2: oh definitely and and, you know he used that to his advantage and you know and and it just showed straight away you were talking about what the full fifth round i think it was it was the full frame you started to see like the little mass appearing, and eventually it just carried on getting worse because he just getting kept- getting tagged with it with the jab and the right hand and 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 then just it is just unbelievable that it, this just says it all about the corner he was with 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 it, I, I I'm lost for words <laughs> when if you ever see, you see the picture of the latex glove that is just sort of filled with water and they're pushing up against him i mean these guys didn't even bring equipment to the ring with them because they were that confident that Tyson would get rid of Douglas before this round. they they, they, they In their heads, they just couldn't... They, did, they couldn't even conceive the fact they could be getting into the fourth and fifth round, and Tyson could even have any swelling whatsoever. And even at one point, Aaron Snow, who was uh, Tyson's prim- primary corner man, caught... Um, he got he caught a chain, so he had a, he had a chain like an identification badge hanging from his neck, and um, it actually caught Tyson's eye. <laughs> and you can actually see Tyson wince in pain as he drags it through his injured eye to the other. It, the whole it's literally a bunch of clans working in the corner, and, and you know the the other guys can all sort of shouting him, telling him, you got to do this, you got to do that. I mean, it, they they were just. They they were they made him look terrible. I mean, whether Tyson just he didn't, well, I don't think he listened to a word they were saying. To he didn't look that way, but it was just a mess. The whole thing is laughable, and it was just all building up to the point where you're just thinking, Buster's just going to just beat him for 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 twelve rounds.
1: It was really bad the stuff that happened in the corner that night, and as you say, it was they obviously wasn't prepared for the fact that this fight was going to go anywhere past three or four rounds because the fact that they didn't have the right equipment the 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 corner equipment that they should have had it's like a mini iron to, to to push the swelling around it's to get rid of the swelling around the eye they didn't even have it that was unbelievable to see the fact that they had a latex glove filled with ice water and they were using it to try and reduce the swelling on his eye and then how ineffectual the corner was i can't even imagine being sat there with a swollen eye and one of your cornermen, is leaning down and his, his identification badge chain literally rips across the swelling in your eye it's, it's not great enough getting punched in the face as it is and then to have swelling on your eye, to have some sort of pain already and then someone come across with a chain literally <laughs> dragging it across your swollen eye, I can't even imagine that Tyson man, he was a tough man Now if he winced at that, that must have been very very painful for him at the time for that to happen but that was again just part of the catastrophic night it was turning out to be and the corner was ridiculous I, I, I mean it was one of the biggest mistakes I think they made in this fight was the fact that they didn't have uh, an experienced corner and no disrespect to any of the guys in the corner but the, the corner wasn't experienced enough for a fight of this magnitude really for for, for Mike, in terms of Mike Tyson and they didn't think about the fact that James Buster Douglas was there to to actually fight and and potentially win the fight he was just there thinking yeah he's he's going to knock this guy out, like everyone was saying he's going to knock this guy out within 90 seconds and it just got worse and worse, confusion and panic just begin to grow in the corner as the rounds went on, they're not even giving him proper advice at, at all, they're basically telling him the same thing they told him from round one, which is to just move your head, jab your way inside and just throw the right hand, and in the 8th round, this was a round that Douglas dominated, until the last few seconds of the round and HBO's Larry Murphy Richard basically, said in commentary, Douglas is asking of Tyson some questions he hasn't been asked before. In the last few rounds of a fight, you have to come back and win it, and this was something Tyson had not experienced at all before. Well, just going back to the end of the eighth round, Tyson, you know, this was a brilliant shot that he landed a big right uppercut after being backed onto the ropes that had sent Douglas down to the canvas and caused what was one of the most controversial moments in in boxing history, aside from the eventual outcome of this fight, this was also a very controversial moment and also something that happened quite recently in in modern boxing with Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder where the timekeeper started the count at a certain point. Now people's interpretation of the 10 count is that as soon as that fighter's back or hand or knee touches the floor, the count starts immediately the count doesn't start until the referee starts the count and that's what a lot of people forget when it comes to boxing so going through then <laughs> getting to the controversial moment and i, I obviously i want to know what your take is on this because this was something that wouldn't be left to lie even after the fight
0: i've never never seen this happen before with mike tyson he's always been the initiator. here he's against the ropes i've never seen it. and there's a right hand And down goes Douglas. As suddenly as that. Can he beat the count? He got a little overconfident. Got a little loosey-goosey. Still wobbly. Let's see what Mike can do to finish. And the bell ends to save Buster Douglas at the end of round eight.
2: Oh, I think Tyson still believes that it, it was a it was a ten a ten count and he should have he should have ended the fight with that. But as you precisely spot on the it isn't the timekeeper. The timekeeper will start the count, but I believe the re- the referee actually started his count a couple of seconds after. So it was a longer ten count, but it's a referee's count. You've got to remember that. You know that you know if you asked I don't know ten people to count to ten and you actually timed it. I reckon five of them people will will get the 10 on time when they stop the clock, as soon as they say a 10. Others will go over. Some will probably go a little bit slower because that's just the way it is. It's, it's never, you know, it's not a clock. People just need to just get that out of their heads. Even Deontay Wilder did it, and Tyson done it with his fight. Wilder done it, as you, as you said, with Fury, where they're using a clock. So as soon as he goes down, it's not the case. It's the referees count. So... Although it was over 10 seconds, um, he was up at 9. Some referees could have called it off, but the bell did ring. And I think he probably thought that he's up. He's got two feet before 10. I'm going to give him his chance to continue to the corner he's winning the fight so that's I think that's for me that's good refereeing
1: yeah no he definitely was good refereeing because this this at this point was going to be argued a lot after the event had happened after the end of the fight so then we go into what was a dramatic ninth round you knew what was going to happen Douglas was hurt Douglas came out with only a minute's rest for the ninth round and we all knew as fans as commentators that Tyson was going to come out and try and finish the show basically he came out really aggressively to try and end the fight and save his title because at this point he's losing quite badly and he was hoping that he was going to be able to get Douglas and hurt him he was you know clearly still hurt from that 8th round knockdown because you've got to remember it happened the last 10 seconds of the 8th round as well so he was still a bit dazed from the fact that he took that great uppercut but Douglas was actually able to fight back and fight off Tyson and close Tyson's eye completely some of the punches that were traded in this particular round was brilliant there was a 4 punch combination that staggered Tyson back to the ropes and then with Tyson hurt along the ropes Douglas closed in and unleashed a vicious 4 punch attack to try and knock Tyson out and then Tyson Tyson came back trying to fight Douglas off... But it was in vain because at this point his gas tank is going... He's losing the fight, his eyes swollen up... Douglas is trying his best to finish the fight... Tyson's trying to fight back... At the the end of the round comes to a close... And Tyson had managed to withstand the punishment... And for me he'd only just about survived that ninth round... After what was a huge round and a huge combat round for, for Buster Douglas... And when we talk about rounds in fights and some of the greatest rounds we've covered in some of the episodes quite recently. This has got to be one of the most underrated rounds in boxing ever.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're 100% right. We we do neglect the fact that, you know, with, with round nine in particular, because, literally because you just, with the amount of stuff, other stuff that's going on, you know, even that's surrounding the fight beforehand, and then the actual shock of the fight, and then the long count. So it's sort of, you just, you forget how good this round is. I I even forgot watching it back again, how good round nine is. I'm just always expecting to see the ending, like the, the two knockdowns in eight and in, in, in ten, and sort of neglect nine. But it was brilliant. It was literally a, one of the most dramatic rounds you will see in boxing. You know, i advise anyone to just go and look at it. night if you don't want to watch the whole fight. You know, fine, I would watch the whole fight, but, the in particularly is a brilliant fight you know as you say he, he stayed with tyson and, and tyson looked hurt and then he it just looked like it was inevitable that tyson eventually it is going to the referee's going to stop it but i mean to, to tyson's credit i mean he wasted a lot of punishment he barely survived round nine but you know it wasn't looking good and i think with tyson obviously putting it down eighth, i think as you say he's come out aggressively he's tried to to take him out early and he emptied that gas tank in that sort of first minute because he, he couldn't get rid of him and, and Douglas showed he also has got a, a, a good chin and, and he put to bed all those, you know, the rumours and what people mentioned about Douglas when he fought Tucker because he, by he, this he, point against Tucker, he, he probably would have just given in. And anyone could have just, you know, if he'd have got eight, nine rounds and then it was counted off or the referee stopped it or he did decide, you know what, I've had enough. Then no one would have ever, people would have still said that, you know, what a fantastic fight he Tyson but, to, to to his credit maybe with his mum dying and just other things going on in his head he just battled through it and then just turned it again and, and feeling Tyson that sort of trouble was unbelievable to see
1: it was and that 10th and final round of the fight was iconic it's history making it's one of the greatest it ends to a fight you'll ever see because of the significance of what it meant to boxing and boxing history. We had the guy who was the baddest man on the planet, the guy who was, was touted to go on and break that record of Joe Lewis's 25 title defences. The guy that was just an unbelievable fighter for, for, for the 1980s and was obviously a, a, a history making guy. A guy who we still talk about today. A guy we put there amongst the best heavyweights ever. But this 10th round... Tyson knew coming out of that corner he just knew he had no choice but to push this fight obviously in his mind he he was losing quite bad and although the scorecards told us a different story which we'll talk about at the end of this particular round he obviously knew he was behind, he obviously knew he, he was potentially on the verge of losing this fight, so he'd come out, even though he was still clearly affected from that previous round, and he tried to walk forward, he tried to walk Douglas down, but Douglas straight away, he just measured him with a few jabs before landing what was a devastating uppercut, it rocked Tyson back, stopping him in his tracks Tyson obviously trying to come back again, he's trying to walk forward, trying to land his own shots through, but Douglas immediately followed that through with the four punches to the head which dropped Tyson for the first time in his professional career in what was one of the most famous scenes of Mike Tyson trying to beat the count fumbling around looking for his mouthpiece on the floor and as he managed to try to get to his feet the referee had seen enough Counted him out. Buster Douglas then becomes the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world and one of the biggest upsets in boxing history.
0: Rolling willingly just to try to get in the shot that will finish things in. Oh the uppercut. What an uppercut by Douglas and down goes Tyson. It's over! over. Mike Tyson has been knocked out! Unbelievable! This makes Cinderella look like a sad story, what Buster Douglas has done here tonight. Let's go ahead and call it the biggest upset in the history of heavyweight championship fights. Say it now, gentlemen. James Buster Douglas, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world.
2: That, again, the 10th round was brilliant. I mean, Douglas, you could see he knew he had him from that nine. I think needs in his head. He's thinking, I can't. Now, I wonder if that was my chance at the end of nine. You just wonder if that was is that it? But, um... I mean, even Douglas, he, he still knew, in, in his head, he thought, after round right, nine, no, it's going to be another, you know, it's going to be another, it's going to be 10, it's going to be 11, gonna be 12, and we're going to go to the point, we're going to go to the judges' scorecard. This is, so he's going to need to win the fight. He didn't believe he was going to stop Tyson. Um, and he even said that when he did put Tyson down, even when Tyson was on the floor, Douglas expected Tyson to get up. He said it wasn't until he sort of scrambled for the gum shield that he realised he'd got him. He thought, I've done him. I've done it. That was the moment in his head, and and it was a bizarre thing to do. And it's one of the most famous pictures you could ever see, casted on the deck with that mouthpiece in his hand. And uh, it, you, if you do wonder, you know, if everything, it, what was he thinking? Why didn't he just try? And, what was what, what was the point of getting out for the mouthpiece? Just leave the mouthpiece on the floor and get up. And you would have. Made the ten count, but you know, I mean, he did effectively get up on line. He was up, but he was staggering. Um, and, uh, and the referee again made another a big call, and he made the right call. But um, yeah, it was it was a great finish from Buster Douglas, and it was an unbelievable viewing just to see Tyson in, in the, the trouble he was in, and just that famous the gunshot hanging out of his mouth <laughs> or in, or in the corner of his lips, and the referee calling it off. So yeah. Big, big, big shock. And credit to Busto, he was he was brilliant throughout the whole fight. The only one knock he could have is obviously that that eighth round getting caught with a one left hook It really put him down. As you did say, as you mentioned before, Sean, he was caught with a few left hooks though, so it so wasn't like it was just a one punch. He had been caught with those left hooks to so the body, to the head. A couple of times during the fight, two times during the fight. That one in particular put him down in the eighth. But all credit to Douglas, he battled bravely, and he deserved his victory. He was the better man in the night. And yeah, moving on to the aftermath of Don King, who went to the best it was how, how the fight went, um, and he was just, uh, you know, we, as you said, you could probably you could talk for hours about Don King, and us. that guy was absolute snake. So uh, credit to Buster, really pleased for the guy, and, and what 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 a great victory for him to be the first man to not only put Tyson down but to beat him. Buster Douglas, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, can you believe that? Uh, yeah, it's happening. It, oh, take take Why did it happen, James? Because I wanted it. Why? Why did you win this fight that nobody on mother. the planet gave you? His mother. Mother. In what mother. Way? God bless her oh. heart. Yeah. I said
1: Yeah, and as I was talking about the scorecards earlier, through the nine rounds it was scored 87-86 for Tyson 86-86 even and 88-83 for Douglas which was the card after watching it back I felt was the most accurate card out of the three but subsequently something that that a lot of people may or may not know about this fight was two of the three judges were Japanese judges for this particular fight with it being held in Tokyo and that makes me think whether that donking money was paid them Japanese judges off because how they had one round to Tyson and 86-86 even is still beyond me looking back on that fight. The American judge ironically was the one that gave it 88-83 for Douglas which I felt was the most accurate score of the fight and yeah, going back to it it's it's unbelievable to think that two of the judges had it so close and, and, and obviously, uh, obviously one of them had Tyson in front as well
2: Ah, uh, it, it's beyond me, good Blatantly, something dodgy going on there. I mean, even uh, Bert Sugar said that he, if he was there, or he said he was there. I can't think if he said he was there. So he's been on the way to try and speak with, with the judges to find out what they were scoring and tripped over their guy, their guide dogs. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was uh, terrible. I mean, blatantly corruption involved, uh, you know, there's, there's no weight, no bugs about it. And, and Don King, the king of corruption, so corruption. So yeah, I, I'm glad for Buster Douglas that he might, he did put Tyson away because that would have been unbelievable if, if, if that had gone to the scorecards and, uh, and Tyson had won that fight, because there was no way in hell Tyson, I, I think, I don't think I would give Tyson a round to them, I think I would give every round, well, apart from obviously the 8th, but then even then, in the 8th, I had busted Douglas Wood in the round, because he happened so late in the 8th, so you know, for me, I would score that 10-9, before the knock, Knockdown, and then obviously with the knockdown, it then becomes an eight. So you know, effectively, it's a nine-eight, isn't it? Really. So it's probably the one round that Tyson wins. So yes, yeah, um I have no idea what the hell they were watching. <laughs> <to> say, <laughs> <quite a really laughs> watching
1: no, definitely weren't. And as you was alluding to uh, uh, a short while ago, in the immediate <laughs> aftermath of the fight, Tyson's camp, led by Don King, protested the result, and the post-fight press conference was funny as anything. If you go on and watch it, you had Don King, you had all Tyson's team all sat there with a little TV that they'd rolled in out of that room in the, in the primary school that you used to see where they'd bring the TV out back in the 90s and they'd had the TV and they had a replay of the count of Douglas being down on the ground and they're all sat there counting it on the fingers and Don King's like no I'm not having this so as a result of his complaints the WBC and WBA initially agreed and suspended recognition of Douglas as the champion and although the IBF immediately accepted that the result was valid after a public outcry and demands from boxing commissions around the world that they acknowledged Douglas as the champion. The protest was eventually withdrawn and Douglas was recognised four days after the fight in spite of the fact that he had an inspired and dominant performance and the majority of boxing fans around the world knew you know that he was the champion nobody was contesting the count of Douglas being down other than Don King and his camp and he was so close to getting that decision overturned or or put as a no contest I tell you what it was that would have absolutely ruined boxing history if that would have happened but it was very very close and there's a lot of people that may not know how close it was to end up becoming a no contest
2: oh it was disgusting it really was and the fact that the wba and wbc it wouldn't recognize him straight away he was just ridiculous and it just shows you with these organizations even today that you know when when someone like don king's got the money and the clout and the power he's able to influence his governing bodies that it, it was nobody else would have even doubt in it i mean all right fine it was a, a long count but again it, you know there's it, no denying that but that buster douglas won that won that fight and you know I, I say long count it, it's not it's a referee's count it, it's two seconds out from a from a timed count but again it was a long count I think they both they both had long counts in actual fact that I think the referee's count was almost identical to the count that Douglas had so you know end of the day is what it was, um, and it, that is just disgraceful from the other two organisations. am I'm, I'm pleased the RBF recognised him immediately. I'm pleased for the Douglas that eventually he was given, you know, given that the, the titles. Um, I mean, and, and also he was he was on the uh, cover. He was the cover photo, of the sports illustrated with the title, um, and it said Rocky lives on the on the front as well. If <laughs> you can see a picture of that, and and uh, Tyson was also uh, supposed to, a little WWF fact. the Tyson was supposed to be on uh, a uh, make an appearance in February 1990 on uh, WWF uh, the main event special guest re- as a special guest referee but in actual fact because Tyson lost uh, they gave it to Buster Douglas instead <laughs> so he made his way to a uh, To the WWF to to referee and about to see Hulk Hogan match up man Randy Savage. So (laughs) there's a little key fact there for you, I thought, for the (laughs) WWE fans.
1: (laughs) So after the fight, there were obviously plans for various matchups to take place. So they tried to get a rematch with Douglas, and that didn't happen. So eventually Douglas went on to fight the number one contender who was Evander Holyfield. Now going into the fight with Holyfield, Douglas weighed 14.5 pounds more than what he did for the fight with Tyson and eventually was knocked out by Holyfield in the third round. For Douglas, he retired after this fight as what you alluded to earlier and then six years later he launched a comeback after almost dying in a diabetic coma. He did win a few fights against journeyman opposition and he ended up fighting for the last time in 1999 there was a lot of rumours that he was going to end up rematching Tyson throughout the 90s but they never ended up facing off again which was quite strange and sad but I suppose in some respects it's what makes this fight a a, a beautiful tale to tell really is the fact that he was a guy who, who seemingly had not done enough to to put himself in that position, although he did on paper, he, he was a guy that ended up not he didn't, he didn't go into do he didn't go on to do anything afterwards. After it was like a mm. rocky story. He won the world titles, lost them in his next fight, and never went on to do anything significant again. For Tyson, obviously the the rest is history. Really, I don't want to touch too much on Tyson's career after that because there's so many other nights which we could record for legendary nights, it's unbelievable but at the time he lost to Douglas, they'd actually been negotiating for a fight with a former sparring partner, Greg Page there was also talks of him fighting George Foreman, when he returned to the ring, that would have been promoted by the Sultan of Brunei as well which was uh, which was <laughs> yeah. unbelievable that dunking money again talking but yeah. just imagine the possibilities of Mike Tyson versus George Foreman in the nineties, that that's just something that sort of whets the appetite. It's a fantasy fight. <laughs> it
2: really would have, that would have been a cracking fight, actually. But uh, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, as you say, the after his career, I mean, it was it, once again, it you could do legendary nights for, for a lot of it But what well, one uh, one thing I just wanted to pick up with with Evander Holyfield uh, with the Evander uh, Holyfield fight was that. Uh, it actually, uh, the Mirage Casino won the right to promote the fight themselves. They actually won a purse bid by bidding $32.1 million, which is still today a record. They actually beat uh, Holyfield's promoter, a main event, who bidded, uh, I believe it was something like $20 million or $29 million. But um, So the, the Mirage Casino, Steve Wynn, he was the owner of the Mirage. He promoted the fight himself. Um, and he, he, he found that Douglas was putting on this weight, as as you alluded to earlier, um, and he was concerned about it. So he actually uh, sorted a private suite with, with a sauna for uh, Douglas to try and sweat off his weight and make sure he gets himself into shape. But he was pissed off later on to find out that he was actually ordering room service from his sauna um, and spending $98 worth on food. So, you know, it was clearly... You know, enduring his life. I mean, it was guaranteed, or he did get a twenty-four point six million dollar payday. You know, from for, for the for the Holyfield fight. So it was it was in a great position, wasn't he? Really. I mean, he did probably just surrender the fight, and he put on way too much weight. And even on the weigh-ins, when the weigh-ins came in, so many people just went put money on Holyfield straight from the weigh-in because you know he, he he had come in so much heavier than the fight. So yeah, it's was, just. It was, Buster Douglas, obviously, you know, he he, um, he got, he, he had, you know, he'd always be remembered for this, for this win, and rightly so, but, um, you know, after that, it was just one of them things, he, I think he earned his money, and then that was it, wasn't it? You know, he, I think he got like, I think he get like 3 million for the title fight, he walked away with 24.6 million, you know, for the Holyfield fight, so good for him, he made his money, and it is a bit like a Cinderella man, like, you know, you, you mentioned as well, like with... Um, Few others were rocky, but you know, you beat the man up Cinderella, as in Broderick he beats Max Bear and then loses to Joe Lewis straight away. And it's the same sort of thing with Buffett Douglas, beats one of the most dangerous heavyweights around of all time, and then just gets annihilated by. Down to Holmesfield, but you know, unfortunate for Buster, but yes, it is what really, I mean, it is. It was just a great, great fight for cover. And this,
1: for me, was the end of the amazing Tyson era. To be honest, because after this particular fight had happened, he would go on to fight four more times before being convicted of raping a beauty pageant contestant in 1991. And for me, when he spent obviously them years in prison, they were essentially his best years of his career. Or well, you know, when we when he came back, I don't think he was ever the same again. And again, there's some nights which we'll we'll probably talk about in the future for legendary nights, but they'll never compare to the era of the '80s and obviously very early '90s and up to this point where he he lost the fight to James Buster Douglas. That was. That was the Mike Tyson that everybody will always compare to the, the greats like Muhammad Ali and Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciano. That was the Tyson that everybody thought was one of the best you know heavyweights of all time. After that, I don't think his career was ever the same. And this was, for me, this was the start of his downfall uh, as a fighter. Although he would eventually end up fighting until around 2005, this was the, the beginning of the end, really. This lost to Buster Douglas, for me was the beginning of the end of the the baddest man on the planet
2: yeah I completely agree I think I think they lost he lost that fear factor I think one thing that Buster Douglas proved is that he wasn't this animal he was he was actually mortal he's human (laughs) this guy can actually you can actually get to him and you can take him out And, and, and he sort of lost that aura about him so the fighters went well into the ring a little bit more confident. I mean, following following the Buster Douglas loss, anyway. I mean, he did fight Henry Tillman, who, who Tillman actually beat Tyson uh, twice in the build-up to the 84 Olympics. And he actually went on to win the gold medal. So there was a little bit of history between them. So that was a it was a good victory for him to come out of that Buster Douglas to beat Henry Henry Tillman. But I mean, obviously, the, 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 you know, the Donovan Ruddock fight is almost irrelevant because you know he goes into prison and you know he loses those those prime years in his career. I mean it's hard to believe if Tyson was around for those six years, you know, what he could have gone on to achieve. Even with this defeat, you know, he could have, he could have gone on to be, to dominate even more and have, who knows what he could have done because he was still devastating and he is still quite rightly so, you know, up there with one of the best heavyweights ever, that's ever lived and and I think there's, you know, but like you say, he lost blatantly, you know, the two of them, the fights, for instance. You know, he, he he was just losing his way a little bit. Um, uh, the one uh, the one thing I always remember as well when he came out of prison, it was his first fight against uh, Peter McNeely. It, I think he lost in a disqualification, McNeely. But it was his first fight coming back from uh, from prison, coming out of prison. And, and it was billed as uh, he's back. And I just they're always they're shivered that by fight because I always see, like, Mike Tyson, like, you know, coming through the door like uh, Johnny in, in The Shiner, you know. <laughs> he, he <was> Johnny! It's <laughs> he, just a petrifying thought that Mike Tyson going out of prison. it's like, just lock up your daughters, mate, because, you know, when this game's a sniffing round. But, yeah, it, it, I'm with you, mate. It, it, it was a shame because, you know, as you say, there were peak years for Tyson. I mean, he may have peaked early. Maybe this was the, 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 the downside for him. But I still think with, with someone, you know, someone like Kevin Rooney, if he was in his corner, for instance, he probably would have got through that fight against Buster Buggers he would have had the right equipment and he would have given the right advice but had him in the right frame of mind but yeah he lost something in that fight well it, what he did lose was the fear factor although he did you know he'd he, he done Bruno again didn't he as well so but yeah uh, just a great fight to cover children and just it's just great to just back on Mike Tyson's yeah, you know, It's
1: just brilliant. And, and that is the episode. That is the tale of Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas from way back in February 1990. I hope everybody that's listened to this episode has really enjoyed it. There was so much to cover off, so many details, so many facts, stuff that you may have known, stuff that you may have not have known, stuff that I've learned while recording this episode. So I tell you, I've really enjoyed doing this one because it was one of, if not the greatest upset in sporting history it was the greatest upset in boxing history of all time in my opinion and it was such an enjoyable episode to cover that i think it was it was for me probably the best one we've done for legendary nights to date
2: oh i, I couldn't agree with you more it's, you know it's not just about the fight it was just everything else that surrounded it you know, Mike Tyson was ferocious, terrifying. You know, he terrified the life out of all of his opponents. And Buster just wasn't scared. He went in there that night, and and and, and he done what nobody else had done. It, it seemed impossible that no one could stop him. But then in 1990 in Tokyo, Tyson self-destructs, Buster Douglas beats him, and, well, what a legendary night to cover.
1: So that's it, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, The Legendary night's Tale of Tyson versus Douglas. If you've enjoyed this, as per all the other episodes, please go and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify. It will be on Eat, Sleep, Boxing, Repeats' YouTube channel if you prefer to listen to it through there as well. Go and find us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod. Follow us, tell all your friends about us, get sharing the episodes around social media because it truly helps us grow as a platform and as a podcast. And find us on Facebook as well at BTR Boxing Podcast. Share it all around there too. We really, really appreciate all the support that you've been giving to us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode the tale of Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas.
0: You can write everything down if you want to. Be brave enough to write every one of your goals down, but I'm going to tell you something. Life's going to hit you in your mouth, and you got to do me a huge favor. Your why has to be greater than that knockdown, and I love it. Buster Douglas got knocked out. Nobody ever got knocked out by Mike Tyson and ever got back up. It was almost a 10 count. He was stumbling. It was four, three, two, and he one ding 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 saved by the bell he goes to his corner the whole world is like that's it once he comes back out that's it mike's gonna just hammer him and exactly that mike tyson came out like i got him i got this kid up against the rope listen to me many of you right now life's got you up against the rope you can't give up you can't give in listen to me if it was easy everybody would do it and if life's got you backed up i need you to do what buster douglas did buster douglas started fighting back The world was shocked. Goliath has been knocked down, what happened? And they went to Buster Douglas and they asked Buster Douglas simply like, what happened? And Buster Douglas said, listen to me, it's real simple, before my mother died, she told the whole world that I was gonna beat Mike Tyson. Buster Douglas had, he had a decision to make. When his mother died, he could die with his mother or he made a decision, I can wake up and I can live for mom. And he knocked Mike Tyson out, simply because his why was greater than that punch. His why was greater than defeat. His why was greater than his trial and his tribulation. And I'm telling you, if you don't know what your why is and your why isn't strong, you're gonna get knocked out every single day.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.